the morning of March 1st, 2000, Aberdeen, New South Wales, Australia. 45-year-old John Price, or Pricey as he was known, had uncharacteristically not shown up at work. His workmates were concerned, as Pricey had told his mates the day before, that if he didn't turn up to work the next day, that it would be because he was dead. They call police and they go to his 84 St Andrews Street residence. What they find would be one of the most gruesome murder scenes in their careers. This is the story of Catherine Knight, a story so shocking that newspapers and broadcast media decided not to report on it as nobody could stomach the gory details. So grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. I'm your host Cambo and this is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So before we get into this story, we have some housekeeping. Uh, we're now on iTunes and listed with Stitcher. We're also listed with Pocket Cast, which is my go-to podcast software. I use it on Android, but it has Apple and PC versions as well. There's Facebook and Twitter, and the RSS feed address is on the contact page of the website, truecrimeisland.com. And tonight... I'm drinking a Thai beer, beer chung. Nice. No review, just get it in you. So I'll tell you the story of Catherine Knight, her life of violence against the ones closest to her and the inevitable murder of her de facto, John Pricey Price. Catherine Knight, she was born October 24, 1955. She was raised in an unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Her mother, Barbara, was originally married to Jack Rowan, and she had four sons with him. Later, Barbara would have an affair with Ken Knight. Barbara and Ken would have a further four children, two of which were twins, and Catherine was the younger of these twins. Catherine's father was an alcoholic and would violently intimidate, abuse and rape her mother up to 10 times a day. Catherine was frequently raped by members of her family, but not by her father, up to the age of 11 years old. She she was only close to her twin and her champion horseman uncle, Oscar Knight, who committed suicide in 1969. She was a bully and a loner at school where she once assaulted a boy with a weapon and was also injured by a teacher that she had attacked who was acting in self-defence. She left school at 15 without being able to read or write. She got a job in a clothing factory and later she would get her dream job in the local abattoir. At first she was cutting up offal but soon was promoted to boning and given her own set of butcher knives. She hung her knives above her bed, which she would continue to do throughout her life. In 1973, Knight met her first husband, hard-drinking David Kellett. Soon, in 1974, they would become married. On the wedding day, Kellett was so drunk, Catherine picked him up on the back of a motorbike and drove him to the church. Here, Catherine's mother warned him. You'd better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. On their wedding night, Catherine tried to strangle him after he fell, asleep, after he fell asleep. 
She later admitted that it was because he only banged her three times that night. On another occasion, Kellett got home late after making the finals of the pub darts competition. She whacked him over the head with a frying pan and fractured his skull. He took off to the, the neighbour's house and was taken to hospital. Police wanted to charge her, but Kellett declined as she later turned up on her best behaviour. This would be common during her relationships, where there would be bouts of violence from Catherine, followed by her sweet charm that would always have her men forgive her. Their first child would be born in 1976, and Kellett soon left her and ran away with another woman, saying that he could not handle Catherine's possessive and violent behaviour. The next day, Catherine was observed pushing her baby in a pram violently from side to side in the main street. She was admitted to St Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth and treated for postnatal depression. She was released a few weeks later and she then placed her two-month-old baby on the railway tracks, stole an axe and ran around town threatening to kill people on the street. Luckily, An old guy that was living rough in an old shack near the railway tracks noticed the baby and rescued her just before a train was due to pass. She was again admitted to St Elmo's, but signed herself out the next day. She then took her knives and cut a woman in the face, demanding she drive her to Queensland to find her husband. The woman was able to escape when they stopped at a service station but she then took a young boy hostage as police arrived, threatening to kill him. The coppers disarmed her with a broom and sent her to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. In hospital, she told the nurses she went to the service station to kill the mechanic as he had fixed her husband's car, which allowed him to drive off with his girlfriend. She then intended to find him, then kill him and his mother. Police informed her husband Kellett of the incident and crazily he left his girlfriend and returned to Catherine. What the fuck? In 1980, they would have another daughter, but in 1984, she left her husband and moved in with her parents. She would soon injure her back and move back to Aberdeen. In 1986, she would meet David Saunders. She knocked him out once with a frying pan slit his dingo's pup's throat as a warning to never cheat on her, and on another occasion, she smashed him in the face with a hot iron and stabbed him with a pair of scissors. Eventually, Saunders would take long service leave and go into hiding. In 1990, she met John Chillingworth, of which she had her third child, but the relationship only lasted three years before she left him for John Price, who she'd been having an affair with. John Price, born January 6, 1955, already had three children to his former wife, and they divorced in 1988. He was known as a popular and terrific bloke. When Catherine and him got together, Price knew of her violent reputation, but as all of her previous partners would say, the sex was fantastic. He held a good job in the mines and was a very hard worker that would always be relied on and never late to work. John and Catherine would sometimes have violent arguments, but as always, Catherine would calm down and all would be forgiven.
Although Catherine had moved in with him, she still had her own house. After an argument over John refusing to marry her, she then took the vindictive step of videoing items in his back shed, which included an old, out-of-date medical kit John had scavenged from the bin. She then sent the video to his boss, and subsequently he was fired after 17 years' service. John kicked her out of the house, but a few months later, Catherine turned on the charm again, and they resumed their relationship. However, John would not let her move back in. Their arguments became more frequent, and John's friends distanced themselves from him while he was back seeing her. In 2000, eventually it all became too much for John. He'd suffered a series of of assaults from Catherine that culminated in him being stabbed. He kicked her out of the house, but he was scared for his life. He met up with David Kellett, Catherine's first husband, and told him he was scared for his life and wanted out of the relationship. The next day, February 29, 2000, on the way to work, he stopped off at the Scone Magistrate's Court and took out a restraining order on her. Later that day, he told workmates that if he didn't turn up to work the next day, that it would be because Catherine had killed him. They tried to stop him from going home, but John was scared she would do something to his kids, and so he went home, spent the night with neighbours, and at around 11pm, he went home to bed. Catherine later turned up in black lingerie that she'd bought earlier that day. John let her in, and they had sex, then fell asleep. At 6am, a neighbour noticed John's car was still in the driveway, and this was odd, as John always left before him. When his co-workers realised he hadn't turned up to work, they were extremely worried and went to his house to see what was going on. They noticed his car was there, but after banging on the door and getting no reply, they noticed bloodstains at the front door. They called police and they arrived at 8am. They tried knocking, but eventually they entered through the back door. What greeted them is a scene that haunts them to this day. As they entered the room, they saw something hanging from the ceiling as they passed. One of the police brushed his arm against it, and he was covered in blood. At first, he thought he had cut himself while breaking down the door, but on closer inspection, he realised it was a pelt hanging up. There was blood everywhere, and as they entered the next room, they saw where the pelt had come from. As John Price's skinned, headless body was propped up in a chair holding a bottle of soft drink. In the kitchen, a table had been set with two plates of food with meat and veggies. Both the plates had name tags, the name of John's children. There was a large pot still warm on the stove. One policeman remarked to the other, I think I know where his head is. They went further into the bedroom and found Catherine snoring in bed. She tried to overdose on sleeping pills, but was just really drowsy. They pretty much knew she'd done it, and she was arrested and charged with murder. According to police, after having sex with Catherine that night, Kellett fell asleep. He was awoken when Catherine stabbed him in the chest. 
He got up and turned on the light, then tried to escape. Catherine chased him through the house. He just managed to open the front door, but was probably dragged back in by Catherine, where he would bleed out and die. He'd been stabbed 37 times. Catherine then took his ATM card and drove into town, withdrawing $1,000. On her return, she then skinned him, then decapitated him, hanging his skin in the doorway of the lounge room. She then used her meat worker skills to cut three steaks from his body, cooking two for the plates of food she left out for his children and threw one out in the back for the dog that didn't eat it. She then put his head in a pot and made a stew. She then posed his headless, skinned body sitting in a chair with his left arm draped over a 1.25 litre bottle of soft drink and she crossed his legs. She then wrote a note and stuck it with a photo of John. Now she couldn't spell, so I'll say it as she wrote it. And it read, Time you got back, Jonathan, for wrapping my doubter. You to Beck for Ross, for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Basically a note trying to accuse him of raping his little son and daughter which uh, was the accusations in the note were found to be groundless. Catherine offered to plead guilty to manslaughter, but this was rejected and her trial was fixed for October 15, 2001. Initially, she pled not guilty, but later changed that to guilty and the judge was able to dismiss the jury. She was found to be fit to make that plea. Her defence argued that she had borderline personality disorder, which is true, but she was considered sane when she committed the act and that it was premeditated. And as Wikipedia put it, which I couldn't say any better, on 8th of November, Justice O'Keefe pointed out that the nature of the crime and Knight's lack of remorse required a severe penalty. He sentenced her to life in prison, refused to fix a non-parole period and ordered that a papers be marked never to be released. The first time that this had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Her appeal against the severity of the sentence was dismissed. Well, true crime islanders, Catherine Knight was not someone you wanted to get involved with. She had a violent temper that could erupt at any moment over anything. She had the skills from her job at the abattoir to slice you up with her incredibly sharp knives that she adored so much she would hang them above the bed. She was able to lure guys in with a sexuality but scare them to death in an instant. She did have a hard upbringing, but what else can you do to someone that commits such a crime? A crime so grotesque that the media refused to cover it. So that's the story of Catherine Knight. There's a couple of great books on the topic. One by Peter Layla called Bloodstain, which documents Catherine's life. Okay, so that's another episode in the can. Don't forget, we're now on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search for True Crime Island or click on the links on the website, truecrimeisland.com. There are links to Facebook and Twitter 
and you can download the episodes to listen offline as well. So all you listeners, grab a beer on me, have a happy and safe festive season and a great new year. This is your host Cambo. Don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast.